This is the sound of a dog high on drugs after surgery. I'm Erin Kulik. I'm 36. I work at Long Island City Veterinary Center in Queens, New York City. This is my diary. This is my story. I am a veterinarian. I work in general practice and uh, Although I'm trained to see all species, I see mostly small animals. I've been in the vet field since I was 12. So I grew up in Virginia, and I worked in a mixed animal practice um, in Bedford, Virginia. I lived 45 minutes away from most civilization growing up. It was the true boonies. My dad still has dial-up internet. You want to come take a look at that cubic? Sure. And I just remember my first day, and they were doing a prolapse uterus surgery on a cow. And they're sewing her vagina shut enough that her uterus doesn't fall out after she had a calf. So I remember watching it through the, the bars, and my mom had come to pick me up like the shift was over. And, and I was just smiling, and she was like, you are so happy. I was like, I want to be a vet. And then he's got to come back next month. They always try to, like, inch it out two or three months. Earlier this week, ABC's Eva Pilgrim went to one of the New York boroughs that's been hardest hit, Queens, President Trump's hometown. So what's it like right now? Crazy. It's madness. There's no other way to put it. So with the the mandate, there is some interpretation to what um, veterinarians in New York are supposed to be doing. Every state is a little different. But for New York, we interpret it as seeing urgent or or sick cases only. We're getting people that haven't come to the vet for a couple years. All of a sudden, they're deciding to come back because they're home. And I think they're realizing they want to invest in that animal again. Uh, So we're still doing rabies vaccines, stuff like that. So a lot of people maybe in preparation for if they get sick and have to go to the hospital and they'll have to make sure their animal can go to another safe place or making sure their animals are up to date on their vaccines. It's been an uptick in people who didn't used to come in. I play in a queer orchestra in Chelsea, New York City. It's called the Queer Urban Orchestra. So the last photo that I feel was before everything changed is a photo of my friends, some people from my orchestra, and some that aren't that came to see the concert, Uh, all of us together at Billy Marks. It's a townie bar in Manhattan, and it's us at, at the bar at Billy Marks before Rolling Down the River song came on. And we're all dancing. And so, you know, that's a really another family of mine, my work family and then my my orchestra family. And that's uh, music has always been a release for me. Like you can't kill anything when you make a mistake in music. You're just embarrassed. So that's that's a big part of my life. And I joined that the year I moved here 10 years ago. I've been in New York for 10 years. My husband found me. He's like, you want to be in a gay orchestra? And I was like, sure. 
I joined as a straight member and ally and then found out I am queer as well. Um, so, you know, coming from a Southern Baptist upbringing in Virginia, that was a, kind of a revelation for me. That's part of why I love New York so much. I am a person of faith. I can't say necessarily that I'm religious. I, I, I would do like a Friday night Bible study where we all drink beer and I was raised Christian. I still consider myself Christian. FDA allowing veterinarians to prescribe drugs without direct examination or making visits to their patients, which will limit human-to-human interaction. The American Veterinary Medical Association does say pet owners should start by contacting their own vet. And it's April 20th. I am at the end of my workday. We're trying to only do essential procedures and uh, essential appointments so that the clients are not coming out for something that's not necessary at this time. But at the same time, I have to say, due to um, some of our staff getting ill with COVID, um, we were very short of staff. So uh, instead of being open and having animals and clients in our lobby, we are having them meet us at our front door, which is locked and then bringing their pet in, and we're calling them to get history to find out, uh, confirm what needs to be done. We're, we're uh, scheduling things still, and we're fully booked. Um, our exam rooms used to be you know, packed with people, but we basically are just using them so that we can do an exam on the patient and then clean very well after that patient has been in here. Um, so it's kind of like a little ghost town in our clinic, but when we're busy, we're super busy. Um, you know, we, we do x-ray, we do a full surgery. So um, our surgery suite, we will be doing a cystotomy tomorrow to remove stones from a dog that could potentially block again because it already had blocked once. Frontline health workers themselves are turning into patients at alarming rates. and It's being called an epidemic within an epidemic. So I guess it's worth saying that uh, I did have COVID. My baby started with a cough. I was watching it on my, my day off. I had three days off to, to monitor. And then uh, he resolved within 20, 48 hours, sorry. No fever or anything, just a cough. He's just over a year. Uh, but then I had a cough the next day. I had diarrhea and then I was lightheaded taking care of him and I ended up with a fever that night so I was pretty sure I was sick uh, I, I did a remote doctor appointment the following day and he said he diagnosed me with COVID but he said to stay home quarantine myself only go in if I had shortness of breath the following day on a Saturday um, this was end of March I had shortness of breath. I was trying to read an email to my husband and I couldn't get more than a couple words out. Uh, so I did go to urgent care when I had shortness of breath with COVID and my oxygen saturation was good. It was 98%. And so I went back home and I used an albuterol inhaler. Um, and that, that really made all the difference and kept me out of the hospital because I was able to breathe better. And I even had a couple of days where I thought I was over it, but by day eight or 10, 
That's when I kind of relapsed. I had to use the inhaler again. Uh, I also had lost my sense of smell and I couldn't smell poop diaper. And you could say that was a gift. Once I got past about day 12, I started to feel more like myself, like I could actually have a phone conversation with someone without being completely out of breath. Um, and on my birthday was the day I came out of quarantine. I, I would smell my whiskey bottle or my mezcal every day because I couldn't believe it. I went to smell my whiskey and I was like, it smells like water. I can't believe this. It just blows my mind. And then one day I was doing like... Um, I'm in a church that does, it's a very open and accepting, like queer accepting, everything accepting church. Um, and they were doing communion and they're like, toast, you know, like drink whatever you want. So I'm drinking whiskey for communion uh, with my church. And that's, that's the first time I started to smell it. And it was a couple of weeks after I'd been sick and I was like, hey, it's coming back. Um, but it took several more weeks before I could smell poop. And like one of my coworkers that had it, I remember when I went back to work three weeks later, I was just like, do you, I was doing anal glands, which is one of the smelliest things you can do as a veterinarian. It's, it's like miniature skunk glands, they stink. And so I expressed the glands and I was like, this is great, we can't smell it. Once the antibody test came around, I was validated because I came up positive. I never got the swab test. I would say COVID is like no other illness that I've had because it does make you question your mortality. By far the most common fever, dry cough, shortness of breath. But then there are a slew of other symptoms that can range from severe fatigue, body aches, backache, headache, nausea, diarrhea, some sore throat. I'd say once I had the fever, my emotions beforehand were just concern of having my hours cut, uh, taking my team down with me because we had organized ourselves into teams. So if someone on that team got sick, you're out for a week at least. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, well, I've got a cushion, but my techs, they live paycheck to paycheck. And because I'm sick, they're not going to get paid for at least a week. This sucks. Like I'm stressed out about it. It is uh, Saturday, April 25th. Uh, it's my day off, one of one of a couple. And I am uh, waiting for a friend and a client for her pet that we euthanized um, two weeks ago, almost. So during a time like this, I decided it was best to do a home euthanasia that does put her a little bit more at risk to have me coming into her home, but we tried to keep as much distance as possible, wore a mask, wore gloves, um, and that way it was just me and her, and I was able to to give her kitty a, a really calm and nice send-off. It's not something that a lot of people can afford to do right now, uh, but... Uh, a lot of people do need a hug during that, and it's really hard to watch someone uh, from a distance after you've let their pet go uh, and not being able to physically comfort them. Uh, but it's even harder, I think, for them if they can't have their entire family there during it. Um, but here in the city, that seems to be the safest way to do it. 
uh, so that we're minimizing the people that are coming into the clinic. So yeah, it's been tough uh, for veterinarians and it's definitely tough for people who are facing decisions um, with, with needing to euthanize their pets, but we're still trying to do it in the most compassionate way that we can, but also the safe, safest way for, for people. Walking to work and hopeful that today will be all right since we have enough staff to make things happen with a fully booked schedule. So uh, I was able to sleep a little bit last night. I had, like many people I'm sure, have uh, kind of bad dreams. So anyway, walking to work, hoping this will be better than the last week was. Um, looking forward to seeing more people at work. Accidents are still happening. Foreign bodies, I'm seeing a ton more foreign bodies. People are home more, they're seeing their animals, and they're seeing problems. So this is our sweetheart that, um, that ate a foreign body, including a hairball, some sticks, and part of a toy. <laughs> Sweetie going home soon, thankfully, because surgery went well. It's it's uh, Wednesday, May 13th. We just finished a C-section on Mama here. I'm going to re-weigh her to see how much she weighs now. And these are her six puppies that are doing well. The C-section that we did was is a young, young gentleman that had cancer, and it was an accidental breeding of his... French Bulldog, which must have a C-section, but he also didn't really have the money uh, for a C-section. And so we were trying our best to be accommodating. Uh, and so we worked with my boss and my manager to, to give him as steep of a discount as we could and us basically used that as a morale booster for all of us because everybody loves coming in and taking care of puppies in a C-section. Each puppy needs to be pretty much revived. I mean, if you think about all of the work that goes into a person having one child, there were seven puppies that day. Yes. She's 21 pounds now. Oh my God. And we got one that's trying. And one was struggling for hours. We had a technician that spent three or four hours just trying to keep the puppy breathing. That puppy is still alive because of her. So all the puppies are doing well. Um, the mommy's doing well. Uh, and I'm just so thankful that for someone who is going in for chemo treatments every day, doesn't have work, um, you know, hopefully is going to survive his cancer. It's, it's something that is treatable uh, to be able to just have life. I'm walking home from work. Um, I've been leaving earlier from work, a couple minutes earlier from work than usual because I've started to do a traditional thing that was started by Josh Landris of uh, Landris Brass. He is a former Marine, I believe, and uh, had started playing taps from his balcony in memory of those who have died from COVID. And so after people applaud at 7 p.m. every night, 
here in Long Island City, Queens, New York, we uh, he starts playing taps. It is the solemn tune known as taps, a military tradition usually played when a soldier has died. But every night during this coronavirus crisis, it has become something of an evening ritual in one Queens neighborhood. Being a, a, a trumpet player and my husband being a professional trumpet player, we offered to, to echo that taps. And so we started doing that a couple days in seems to be a tradition that everybody's expecting now uh, because um, everybody seems to be listening for it. So it means a lot to me to do, particularly because we have lost people. Um, so I even found out today more family members of staff have died. People have lost their fathers, their uncles. So... It's been a really tough time. So it means a lot to me to, to, to get home and echo that taps whenever I can. You know, even if my work wasn't done, I would sprint home with the mask on after surviving COVID, run up the steps. Like there's one day where I literally got the window open, got the trumpet to my lips as I heard Josh playing. And I'm like, dun, dun, dun. And I was like, I survived COVID if I can do that. And I have a a close friend whose mom has been on a ventilator for over a month. Um, So just following cases and seeing all the people I knew that went on ventilators, except for this friend's mom, died. So she's the only one left. She has to make it. Sunday, the 26th, nighttime. I got out of work on time, which is rare on Sunday, which is my Monday. And I've had a nice evening with, with my husband and Cooper, who's brushing his teeth before bedtime. <laughs> Thanks, Coop, for demonstrating. Um, so, yeah. Work tomorrow. I always felt myself an inferior parent before this because my husband is just so good with kids. He's much more patient. I'm kind of, you know, quick, quick to melt down, I guess, because I've just been so stressed all day. And you come home from that job to your next job, which is watching a toddler. But while I was sick and, and taking care of him, most most of the day, every day, because my husband was trying to work from the other room, I, I learned I am I can be a good parent. It's just the stresses of the job that make me, um, you know, not not as patient as I'd like to be. So, there, I you know I I'm very grateful um, for all that extra work of having a kid. It's helped me through this one. So I I still feel like I'm hanging in there just fine.